Please be seated. And as you take your seats, you can open your Bible to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. This is the third scripture lesson for us this morning, if you'd like to follow along in your bulletin. We're going to look at two parables. And really, they're the shortest parables in all the Bible. And while they're brief, they have a very strong and a powerful message about God's kingdom. And as we conclude our season of Lent today, the fifth Sunday, the last Sunday of Lent, I'd like us to summarize all that we've studied in terms of avoiding a temptation to sin and confessing our sins and wrap that up with a general a picture of what it means to desire and search after God's kingdom. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time of study together before we enjoy uh, the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Father, we wish to see Jesus and him only. And we pray that as we wait upon you and your spirit, that you would work inside of our hearts and work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for what you will do in these moments. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people are on a constant mission to unearth buried treasures, while others are fortunate enough to stumble upon these treasures unexpectedly. Back in 2013, I was reading the other day that an unsuspecting California-based couple were out walking their dog. And all of a sudden, they noticed a can, looked like a soup can, inside of the ground, or buried halfway into the ground. After further investigation, the couple found these coins, $20 gold coins buried in this can. They also found additional cans with coins on their property. The coins were minted from 1847 to 1894, and much of the couple's surprise, they were nearly uh, $1,420 pieces of gold. Additionally, the couple discovered 50 $10 coins, four $5 pieces, and the going rate for a single coin was estimated at a million dollars. Coin expert David McCarthy described this amazing discovery as unheard of in North America. I don't know about you, I'm not much of a treasure hunter. I have stumbled on a dollar here or a dollar there unexpectedly. <laughs> I have searched the house carefully whenever I lost something and wanted to find it that was important to me. Well, that's something akin to what our parables teach this morning. This passage together, the both parables, offers us instruction about the discovery, the value, and the cost of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And if I were to summarize the message this morning in a bullet statement, it would be this. Authentic Christians discover and value the kingdom of God more than anything else, and they submit to any cost to obtain it. Authentic Christians discover and value the kingdom of God more than anything else, and they submit to any cost to obtain it. I'd like you to notice 
uh, three points this morning. Number one, the discovery of the kingdom. And then secondly, the value of the kingdom. And then thirdly, the cost of the kingdom. First of all, the discovery of the kingdom. These two parables present kind of a dualism. This is a picture of an ordinary man in the first parable engaged in daily toil, living with little expectations perhaps, just doing his job and taking one day at a time. And suddenly, as if he was plowing through a field, he digs up this treasure. He opens it and finds some kind of treasure. We don't know what it is, money or jewels. And the point is clear. Some people discover the kingdom by accident. They're plowing through life when suddenly, against all expectations, it hits them. And they are stricken with a treasure. Now, this is not unethical. You have to be careful whenever you interpret a a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so when you approach these parables, you realize we don't need to start answering questions about ethical or ethics and behavior. Does he have the right to go sell everything he has and buy this piece of property? Should he tell the person who owns the piece of property that he found the treasure there? No, 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 no. No, we don't need to go there. The point is clear. Some people discover treasure unexpectedly. This is a marvelous picture of discovering Jesus. And I think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was plowing through life. He was a Pharisee. He was a very religious person. He was an angry man. He was on the road to destroy Christians, to incarcerate them. And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, he was hit with a bright light and the presence of the Lord Jesus. And he was converted. You know, a lot of times the unexpected discovery of Christ and his kingdom comes in the midst of a dramatic change in life. You think about a loss of a job or a loss of health and sickness. Maybe a loss of a loved one, a loss of a spouse. Maybe financial reversal or emotional trauma. See, the Lord has a way of interrupting our lives to make room for his presence his glory, and for salvation, which is what the kingdom is all about. And sometimes the Lord will stop us in our tracks and arrest us because we're so busy plowing and running through life that we haven't had the time to consider what the Bible has to say about entrance into the kingdom of God. Some discover the kingdom unexpectedly. Others Discover the kingdom by careful search. That's the story of the merchant looking for pearls. It's a picture of how others discover the kingdom of heaven. It's not by a sudden event or unexpected event. It is by a careful search. They try many faiths, many ideologies. But one day they find the loveliest thing in all the world, which was how the ancients rated a really fine pearl. And they give all they have to gain it. I can't help but think of people in church history like St. Augustine. He tried every philosophy of his day. He was in search of that which his mother had prayed for him to find for years and years and years. And then finally, his search ended. I think of Justin Martyr in the early second century. He was a brilliant professor who had tried all the philosophical schools and remained unsatisfied. One day, he met a little old man in the fields who told him about Jesus. He immediately started reading the scriptures to see if it was so. 
He was convinced, and he became a joyful Christian, even though later it led to his martyrdom. After a long search, he had found the pearl of great value. And what I also want you to see here is that we have a reminder that discovering the kingdom of God requires personal appropriation. Whether you stumble across it unexpectedly or whether you are in search of it carefully, every one of us must negotiate that narrow gate on our own, by ourselves. And we must ask, is it true in my life? Have I discovered the kingdom of God through a personal relationship with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I put my faith and trust in him? Well, that's the discovery of the kingdom. Now, I want you to notice, secondly, the value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. The characters in both parables are stricken with the overwhelming value of the respective treasures they find. And I want you to notice carefully, it's really in a spiritual realm and a material realm that they discover this value. First of all, the spiritual realm. You'll notice in the first parable, the text tells us that the man who found the treasure in the field experienced joy over it. His joy was so great that he went and sold all that he had to buy the field where he discovered the treasure. You know, we human beings experience a wide range of emotions in the course of life. Happiness, sadness, anger, and so on. But there is something unique and special about the concept of joy. The word seems to point to an inward spiritual satisfaction. A quenching of a spiritual thirst, if you will. You know, other emotions usually stem from the product of our circumstances. We're angry if somebody hurts us or cuts us off in traffic. We're happy whenever we do well in our jobs or financially. But joy is something different. And we know that from what the scripture says. It seems to be more organic. It comes from down deep inside. And it is a result of the presence of God. Psalm 16, verse 11, you make me know the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Nehemiah 8, 10. Nehemiah says, don't be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. John 15, 11, the Lord Jesus himself said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Later in chapter 17, verse 13, Jesus said, Now I'm coming to you, to the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. No wonder Paul said in Galatians 5, 22, with the first three fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. We live in a very angry, restless world where men and women and young people are looking for a sense of identity. They're looking to figure out who they are and why they're here and what their purpose is. Well, the Bible makes it clear. When you discover the treasure of the kingdom of God, when you discover the treasure of a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a sense of joy. And that joy is not contingent upon your circumstances. 
It's something that is present inside of you because Christ lives inside of you. And there is a sense of stability and wonder every day of your life that the Lord is moving and active and working out His purposes inside of you. That's why it says in Philippians, He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the very day of Christ Jesus. Perhaps you're looking for a sense of identity or a sense of something to fill a void inside of you. I believe that's the sense of joy. And you know it when you have it because it feels so good and so secure to know in your heart and in your mind that you are a child of God. And nothing and no one can change that. And so we have a value here that is in the spiritual realm. That is internal satisfaction, fullness of joy. The very joy the Lord Jesus had, and we can enjoy it as well. But there's also a material consideration, and that is in the second parable. Part of the beauty of the second of these little parables is the conclusion of the merchant's search. The search for fulfillment or perfection is over. And that which was one of a kind, this pearl, had been found and nothing can supersede it. When you discover perfection, there's nothing left to look for. And this is a picture of the rest of our lives. We rest when we stop searching. Some people spend a lifetime looking for their goals, their objectives, their purpose in life. We not only live in a world of people looking for themselves, trying to find their identity, some kind of inward fulfillment and satisfaction, our world is also filled with an outward, external hunger for things, materialism, an obsession to look a certain way, to have the right job or the car or the house or the spouse or the education. And that search takes its toll. And people live and they make fortunes and they name buildings after themselves only to die unfulfilled in the deepest part of them. Well, here is a man who found that perfect pearl and his search is over. It's a picture of rest. No wonder Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You don't have to look any further. If you ever lost something of great value, you know what that's like. The other day, we could not find my wife's phone. And nowadays, I can lose my wallet, you know. I can lose my car, perhaps. But if I lose my phone, I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> we use it for so many different things. And so we began a search all through the house. And I was calling her phone, but I don't think the buzzer was on or something was wrong. And then finally, we found it, and it was left over at my daughter's house in Clearwater. So we had to go retrieve it. Have you ever lost something? When you lose something, when you're searching for something, it takes energy. It takes effort. It takes a lot out of you. The beauty of the Lord Jesus is not only an inward satisfaction, but an external satisfaction, a sense of contentment. That regardless of where I'm at, <clears throat> I've finished my search, and I have found the Lord. You know, I used to watch Billy Graham crusades whenever I was younger, and you remember George Beverly Shea, the 
big guy would get up and sing, and he would always sing this song that I used to think was kind of amusing, but I'd rather have Jesus, you know? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have his, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. And I used to giggle at that song, but whenever it was over and I heard it again, I wondered, does he really believe that? Does he really value the Lord Jesus more than anything? And if he does, why? And then I read the Apostle Paul. I count everything as loss in view of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Does he really believe that? I believe he did. And you will believe it too whenever you discover the kingdom. You'll see the value of it. That this is a top priority in life. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Later on in that passage we read in Philippians 3, Paul said, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love the fact that Paul is a man of one thing, one thing, and that is he has a passion to remain in the presence of Christ at all times. Because when you remain in the presence of Christ, you remain in him, you begin to realize the value of the treasure that you have. You've got the living God of all the universe living inside of you by his spirit. And the great high priest, the Lord Jesus, praying for you constantly at the right hand of the Father. What a great value. And I believe these men saw that. Well, in the stories we have here, we have the discovery of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom, and then finally the cost of the kingdom. The cost of the kingdom. You know the story. Both of these men did the same thing. This is the one point with complete continuity between the two parables. Both give up all that they have for the sake of the treasure. So what's being taught here? Can we actually buy the kingdom of heaven? Can we buy eternal life? No. The scriptures teach uniformly that heaven is a free gift. We can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. Why? Because we're sinners through and through. So why do both parables present a financial transaction of money and goods to secure the kingdom? Well, the secret is remembering that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the material point of this holistic transaction in both parables is meant to teach us that the cost of entering the kingdom, just like the value of the kingdom, is impossible to calculate. I mean, I started scratching my head. How does this fellow who was perhaps plowing in the field know that he has enough money to buy this field? That's not answered. It's not the point. Or even the merchant with fine pearls. You know, if he were an American, he'd say, all right, I got the best one. Now I'm going to try to find ten more. More pearls. No, his search came to a close. The material point of the holistic transaction in both parables is meant to teach us that the cost of entering the kingdom, just like the value of the kingdom, is impossible to calculate. We cannot pay the cost in money or material possessions. We can't pay the cost in good works. You see, the picture of buying a field or a pearl is meant to be one of investment 
You may be transacting something, but you're really not buying it in the sense that we understand. You're buying into it. You're throwing your entire life into this and saying, this is real. God is alive and real, and Jesus Christ is his son. And I want a personal relationship with him. I'm willing to take my hands off of everything I am and everything that I have in order to do his will. We listened to that somewhat this morning when Jana shared. Had no intentions of being a missionary, and yet the Lord led in that direction. She was willing. Maybe some of us, the Lord is calling us to buy into a certain area of risk. Maybe to make a move, a job change. Maybe to commit to missionary work. We cannot pay the cost in money or material possessions. It's one of investment. All we can do is surrender everything we are and everything we have to Christ as we recognize that he alone paid the penalty of our sins and ransomed us from eternal damnation in hell. You see, salvation costs nothing in the sense of payment, but everything in the terms of surrender. And both parables present a cost of everything for the sake of the one thing. We saw something of this in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Did you notice that? He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. What a beautiful picture. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The average person would read that and say, that's absurd. <laughs> no, if you put yourself and buy into this, and you approach the Lord, and you drink of his salvation, and you eat his flesh and drink his blood spiritually, now you're coming to buy wine and milk without cost, because he's the one that paid. He's the one that gave the mighty transaction of his own life and his blood so that you and I would have our sins forgiven. And so you see that the kingdom costs nothing in the sense that we cannot calculate or pay such a high price for our entrance. On the other hand, the kingdom costs everything in the sense that God doesn't want our money our possessions, or even our good works. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us, body and soul, to love him and to devote ourselves to him by childlike faith and trust. And given the individual circumstances and situation of these two characters, in these two parables, the last point reminds us that God requires the same from all who seek to enter the kingdom, devotion of all that we are and all that we have to his glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. See, these parables of the treasure and the pearl illustrate the wholehearted response which the kingdom of heaven demands. There's no halfway. Halfway is no way. No sacrifice is too great and no other concern must stand in the way of it. Sometimes it is hard to serve the Lord Jesus. Very hard. And it will cost. But the more it costs, the more we go back to the bosom of Jesus and realize the ultimate cost that he paid and that it's worth 
following him no matter what it costs. The note is not one of a negative giving up, but of joy and fulfillment. There's something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge myself with that. Are we in love with Christ? Have we made a discovery of the kingdom? If we have, is it valuable to us? So valuable that it is a priority in our lives. That's demonstrated in attending worship and serving Christ's church. Being a missionary right where you are. Have you recognized the cost of the kingdom? You can't pay it. Jesus paid it all for us. That's why we celebrate this supper. However, you can spend the rest of your life devoting yourself to his service because it is valuable in your sight. And you know the discovery that you have made, really that God has made of you. For the Lord seeks after us and secures us in salvation before we ever seek him. We just simply respond to his spirit when he says, come here. Let me challenge you this morning to consider the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for these brief verses, these little simple parables that teach so much about the discovery and the value and the cost of the kingdom of God. Lord, may we participate, may every one of us devote ourselves, body and soul, in trust and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's some here that have never made the discovery of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to have sins forgiven completely, what it means to have a place of peace and joy with the Lord, I pray that you would invade those hearts this morning that you would draw those men and women or those young people to yourself and gloriously introduce them to you, yourself, the King, and your kingdom. Bless us, Lord, now as we sing and prepare to enjoy communion and fellowship with you through the Lord's Supper. As participants in the kingdom of God, we make our prayer in Jesus' name.